Warning, this podcast contains frank discussion of rape, consent, and sexual situations. Listener discretion is advised. Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own, and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 82, Trilogy Part 2. For your love. You two rabbits ought to be ashamed. The wedding is tomorrow. And in case you forgot how to add, that's one more day. Young lady, your father is spinning in his grave. Now cover yourself. And you will, Kinman. If you don't get out of here, I'm gonna... Well, I don't know what I'm gonna do, but get out! Well, Kinman? Sheriff, you think what, uh, uh, Lee Dater says about that kind of craziness is true? I couldn't wait one more moment to touch you. You got five minutes to get dressed and get out of this house or I'm throwing you out but naked! You get him out of here! You hear me, Abigail Fuller? You got 30 seconds! After tomorrow, there's not anybody that can keep us apart. Want a whole town to know what a wicked child you are? I'm not wicked. And I'm not a child. And tomorrow I'm gonna be Mrs. Willis Gunnerson Kinman. I won't have to be alone anymore, Marie. You're stuttering. Yeah, well, I think it's a little r- residual from Will. <sighs> She's incredible, Al. Her eyes and her face and her hair, the way it smells and her skin okay okay whoa cowboy i know you leaped in here in sort of intimate circumstances but you gotta be careful careful well listen to yourself it's will that's in love with abigail not sam i I know that i know that I belong here. You got me worried big time Uh, all right Uh, gushy let's get to work on this sam do me a favor what stay away from abigail it had been 11 years and Abigail had grown from a frightened child into a glorious young woman. 
Al's request to stay away from her was as absurd as asking the sun not to rise on their wedding day. I don't want any trouble touching my wheel on our wedding day. Yeah, well, tell you the truth, uh, Abigail, uh, I think you better stay right here because... Uh, we got trouble, Sam. Well, this concerns you, I'm afraid. What's the problem? It looks like you're gonna have a witch hunt on your hands. Well, it seems Don Taken's boy has disappeared. Abigail, did you sit the Taken's boy last night? Yes, but I left at 9.30. Mr. and Mrs. Takens came home, they paid me, and then I left. And where was Purvis? Well, he got upset and went up to his room at about 8.45. Why was he upset? He was jealous. He didn't want me to marry you. He's seven years old, for heaven's sakes. I tried to explain to him that we were grown-ups and that we were in love. He must have run away or something, and everybody's blaming Abigail. Ziggy says you're here to control things until they find the kid. Al. What happens? Well, the whole town is after her, Sam. Uh, Will said that they turned into a crazed mob when they couldn't find this kid, Purvis. And tomorrow night, they try to hang Abigail. What, what do you mean, they, they try? Well, in the frenzy, she got shot in the back. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. I'm Christopher DeFilippis. I'm Allison Pregler. And I'm Matt Dale. And today we continue our monumentally epic discussion about the season five episodes trilogy. Today we're on trilogy part two, and that's about as much enthusiasm as I'm going to be able to muster for this one, guys. So, Aww. <laughs> no, 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 no. Bring it, Chris. Come on. I, 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 I'm trying to figure out where to, where to, where, okay. I'm honestly at a loss as to where to go. So let just, just, just try to work with me here, guys. I'm, I'm going to need you to... When we look back and we see the footprints in the sand, there are only going to be four instead of six, and that's where you guys carried me, okay? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, this is where we cue up the strings and the harmonica. It's, it's about to get some Southern Gothic in here. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, can I just say, I know we're not going to have, well, it's going to be a little bit mixed, but if I am going to put a positive in here, I will say the music in this, excellent, excellent stuff. There's this uh, beautiful piano music over the recap. Very good. Hold it back, Alison. If you're going to have one good thing to say about this episode, can you save it till later? Don't, <laughs> don't, just, don't just blow it in the first five minutes, Alison. Come on. Are we are we going into to to our uh, initial impressions? Because if we are, we should start with Matt. I, th- I feel like your enthusiasm is flying out of the <laughs> podcast. Yes, Matt. Please, please do, Matt. Give us your initial impressions. You're going to be surprised by this. I'm reevaluating these episodes <laughs> after all these. <laughs> no, seriously, <laughs> I quite enjoyed it this time round. Oh, really? Yeah. As much as yeah, I, I don't I don't do the whole Southern Gothic thing, and generally, any time uh, Sam leaps into one of those sweaty Southern episodes, I just switch off mentally a little bit. <laughs> it, even even the really good ones, I'm just not that possible. But okay, parking that sweaty parking- Southern episode. <laughs> He's always so sweaty. No one else is. It's true. Putting that to one side, I, I tried to approach this one the same way that I approached part one, just in and of itself. And I found this episode quite good this time around. Um, not not amazing, but as I say, I already have that 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 bias against this type of episode. And yeah, obviously, I trying to review it 
in itself is difficult when it does come after an episode. You can't really ignore it. But I know we'll we'll get into that's leading into a topic we're we're going to end up dwelling on. Uh, but yeah, it's it's okay. It's an alright episode. Wow. How about you, Alison? Besides the great music, what were your initial impressions? Well, my opinion's not dissimilar to Matt's, really. But the thing is, I'm very mixed with all of Trilogy. Because um, there's some parts that are icky! Icky, icky, icky! <laughs> well, we know. Yeah, th- well, and this is something that we'll, we'll get into a little bit deeper. It's sort of an issue with a lot of Quantum Leap to me, to be honest. But... If you separate the, the the added lore to the show and all that, I enjoy Trilogy as a concept, and I enjoy the Southern Gothic feel to it, and um, uh, the music is really good, the costumes are good, uh, the acting's very good. So, I mean, it, it's one of those things you have to separate certain parts of it to enjoy it, but, um, you know, it's, it's just mixed. All right, and I guess since it's my turn and we do need to get to the other end of the spectrum, I have two words down, the and worst. <gasps> the worst. Is that the worst Aww. episode to you? <laughs> it, it's, I don't know, I don't, I, I think I might rather watch Dreams again. <gasps> wow. Oh my God. Like Matt, I'm reevaluating these episodes as I watch, and I have avoided rewatching these for close to 30 years now, and now I remember why. This episode made Trilogy 1 look pretty good, and I didn't like Trilogy 1. You know there's still a part three, right? <laughs> yeah. Let's can just give this to me in small doses, Allison, because otherwise I'm a flight risk, okay? <laughs> let's, just, let's just stick with two. <laughs> Seriously, it's a small, small doses help, so, and I think that really has been the problem for me for the last 30 years, that I try and watch this back-to-back, Two and a quarter hours, and this works a lot better with a good few weeks in between each one. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, I, maybe it's a little hyperbole saying it's the worst, but it's seldom where I can't wait for an episode of Quantum Leap to be over. And this is one of those instances. So, I mean, we, we can get into um, why, but we've already kind of alluded to the elephant in the room. On my notes, it was capital Y-U-C-K, yuck. On Matt's notes, <laughs> what was it, Matt? Ick. Ick. <laughs> and Allison just, just said icky. So yeah. is this the icky thump or the icky hump? What what are we going for, guys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who, who's going to cover this one? Who, who's actually going to say okay, it? Okay, all right, let's dive into on, this. Allison, let's you. dive into this. Sam leaps in in the middle of sex. That's all right. In the middle of sex with someone who in the previous leap was his daughter. Well, that's less all right. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not all right, though. It's not all right. Let's uh, okay. Let, let's separate the whole like she was his daughter previously, and then what? Whatever. Like that's not really the big issue for me. Uh, have I don't remember how much we've discussed this in the podcast before. Have we talked about leaping and consent? Yeah, I think yeah. yeah. We we've rushed upon it, but not not in a very serious way. This is a big thing for me in Quantum Leap. Okay, because. Now that it's coming back to me, we have discussed this a little bit before, but um, whenever Sam has sex with someone or when he's making out with someone or whatever, there is this um, this this whole uh, under uh, false pretenses because you would not consent to sleeping with someone that you didn't know who they were. Like, if you think that you are sleeping with your fiancé, if you're sleeping with your husband, your wife, whatever, you're not consenting to sleeping with this other person. In this case, 
Sam also is not consenting to this. He has leaped into the middle of this. So I feel like this whole thing is is a violation of both characters. And I just can't get over how they treat this as romantic. And the fact that Abigail never finds out that this is not her fiancé that she slept with, that she has a child with, any of this stuff, is I just can't... I can't get over that. I just find it just really a disservice to uh, to the show. Yeah, you're quite right. And I think at the very least with that leap in, it does... Well, there's, there's a credit sequence in the middle, isn't there? I was going to say it ends pretty quickly. Actually, to be fair, we don't know how quickly it ends. Um, in my head, it's like, whoa, okay, what's going on here? Let's let's stop this right now. But yeah, it, it depends what goes on during those credits. So No, it doesn't. But we know that they do enough to have a kid together. So something happened. <laughs> but that's what... No, hang on. Don't they? That's later in the episode, isn't it? There was a second interlude. Yeah. I, I didn't assume it was that first one. I, I wasn't really sure what happened in that first one. And you're right that both characters are being violated there. In the second case, that's where, to me, it's more icky because Sam is making a choice and Sam says, like, oh, when we touched it, it wasn't Will anymore, it was me. Well, yeah, to you. Um, but to Abigail didn't, didn't know, and that's more of a conscious decision on Sam's part. So, But it is something that the show has done many times before and like it or not it's one of those parts of the show that you have to accept i'm not saying you have to like it but it's it's there i don't what other instances have they had on the show where he actually sleeps with someone and they're not consenting to him or at least as they know him like they think that he is someone else and then they're sleeping with like someone that they they know I, I can't think of anybody. Maybe maybe Diane McBride in Hunting We Will Go? Did they sleep together, though? There's episodes where he spends long enough that it would be surprising if he didn't. Um, I'm thinking things like the plays the thing, maybe? I think, yeah, it's pretty implied that he and Jane got it on in that, right? Well, he leaps into bed with her, but I don't. they're not like actually sleeping together at that point. But he's there for a few days, right? I'm thinking any episode where he's in a committed relationship and he's there for a few days, he's not going to be able to get away with... You can go without sex for a few days. <laughs> he it's not like every time he's like, well, I guess I gotta. <laughs> I think the character's pretty, uh, yeah, pretty adamant about, like, you don't sleep with someone that you don't love. And, like, uh, yeah. the only other times I can think of, like, sleep, like he slept with... Um, uh, the the lady in uh, Hunting We Will Go. What was the character's name? That's Diane McBride. Oh, yeah. I was confusing things. Uh, yeah, they slept together, but also like she didn't know the other guy. Like she just knew who Sam was. So like, I feel like in that case, them sleeping together is like right. It was more of a fling. She thinks he looks like another guy, but she doesn't know the other guy. So right, it's not like this is a, a situation that I trust that I'm going into with a certain reality. And you're subverting that reality. Yeah. I feel like in, in all the other instances, it's been people who, even though they don't know it's Sam, or maybe they do know it's Sam, some of them do, um, it's not someone that they know and are in a previous relationship with, and it's not under false pretenses, I don't feel like. You're right. You're, you're absolutely right. I think that the show was pretty cognizant of the line that they were walking and, in my opinion, crossing here. Because they went out of their way to have Abigail 
make a declaration that everything seemed wrong with Will until something just clicked. Will, can I tell you something wonderful? I like wonderful. Last night, when we made love, at first I thought, this isn't right. You know, I thought maybe, maybe all these years I'd been wrong about you and I. Then something happened. I know it was our first time and everything, but when we started, everything just seemed so, so wrong. And then, all of a sudden, you were, you were different. I was like in a magic flash. We just, we fit, Will. I mean, our bodies were made to be together as if we were meant to be in each other's arms for all time. It was just star-crossed horseshit to justify that this was something that she wanted to, and it was wrong until Sam got there, and then everything came to be right. But all she knows, like, she's like, it was wrong until, like, until the sex was good that night. Like, that's all that changed. (laughs) (laughs) That calls into question Abigail and Will's previous relationship and everything that happens after Sam leaps out. Yes, for sure, and I know you. I know you're not. It's not what you're talking about, Chris. But it's a really important point. Well, but it's all to me that goes hand in glove because I was yeah. going to bring that up. But yeah, so yeah. tell me where 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 your mind took you with that. Well, I, I I can't remember what if any reference they have to that in in trilogy part three. It it bothered me in in part two at this point where I think, well, okay, hang on a second. How, how has she got to this point where she's about to marry this guy? Oh, their relationship in part three. Yeah. I think they just don't get married. I think like it just wasn't the same and he left. (laughs) Right. That's yeah. That sounds familiar. And it's, but it, but it would have to be watching this episode in isolation. I'm thinking, all right, well, obviously the relationship wasn't up to that much, despite the fact that she seemed super happy um, in that that first scene when she's being like, "Oh, I'm going to be Mrs. Wilkinson." Despite all that, apparently she wasn't that happy, and clearly she doesn't realize that until she has her thing with Sam. Then she realizes that she was never happy, and I, I would be disappointed if she went into part three and actually you know, they got married and had lots more babies and everything. Well, and what what struck me about that most was that Abigail wasn't talking about her undying love for Will. After Marie kicked him out, and she's yelling out the window, and she's saying, the whole town is going to know what you guys were up to, and she's like, I don't care. Don't you understand? I'm never going to be alone again now. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me like she's more interested in not being alone than she is in having a relationship with Will. I mean, that's that's the biggest declaration that you're going to give, is I'll never be alone again. I mean, that's... I understand that she had a rough childhood and her dad was killed and all that, but it shows you that the basis for this relationship is already not that great. And, you know, Sam's momentary arrival and subsequent departure only served to complicate things further. It does not excuse the the kind of the, the rape issues that we're talking about here, or the, certainly the consent issues that we're talking about here, but... Um, at least that kind of big picture moral justification. Yeah, he's he, Sam has ruined something that maybe wasn't that that strong to start with. Uh, well, I also uh, I kind of question Sam's mental faculties through this episode. <laughs> yeah, 
I really do, though. I mean, because like he says, he they make a point of it. Like um, when they sleep together, that first or second time, whatever it is, later after the or um, just before the the lynching, he says like, "Oh, it's uh, it was me for the first time. Like it was all me." So that means through this whole episode, where he's talking about like, "I just want to touch her and smell her and taste her and all these creepy things," <laughs> that part of that is is Will, and he is acting loopy and weird through the whole thing. So it just feels like a lot of this is not really him either. So it's just, it's a weird way to do it. And he's creepy about it. He's smelling his hands and shit. Like, it's weird. Isn't that justification, though, for the the other part of this, the whole fact that he's just gone from being her father to her lover? They have to really play on the whole psycho-synergizing magnafoozle thing. Otherwise, it would just be creepy. It, it seems like they're trying to really play that angle very hard, that he he is Will, and 90% of this is Will. And, and you know, a small percentage is that guy that, that was her dad a few minutes ago. I, I believe he's progressively less Will throughout. And, I mean, one of my talking points here is mind-body shenanigans. And it seems to me like when he leaps in, he's much more Will. He doesn't have the Swiss cheese. First of all, where's the Swiss cheese? He remembers Will right away, which Will is just some some rando guy in a police station, as far as he's concerned, when his daughter is being accused of murder. But it does take him a while to remember what happened on the leap, though. He has sort of that that realization that like he's like, oh, I I didn't make it out of that, did I? But he's also stuttering. So I yeah. mean, I think that's a, a, another shorthand for the viewer to think, okay, well, he's clearly more Will at this point than he is Sam. So does that make it less gross, guys? No, that, but that just means that just means that Sam's like. Well, that's what I'm saying. Can we? It's almost like can we wallpaper over this? <laughs> he's he's more Will now, not not Abigail's dad, and it's just like no, I don't think that works either. Uh, it's problematic. Yeah, well, and also like it's like how much of this is Will and how much of this is Sam, and he doesn't lose the stutter until. Uh, they sleep together the night of the uh, attempted lynching. So, I mean, like, there's still that that part of him there the whole time. Um, and re- regardless of how much is Sam or Will, um, Abigail is never told any of this. She dies not knowing, you know? Like, or at least she's still old and alive and doesn't know, you know? <laughs> so, it just feels like... Wouldn't you feel incredibly awful if you found out that the father of your kid or or your mother of your kid or whoever was not who they said they were? Hmm. Yeah. You can't act like this is star-crossed lovers when like, – I get the idea – but the show already did this much better um, in uh, in the um, the one with the uh, totally spacing on the name of the one Terry Hatcher. No, the um, not Terry Hatcher. <laughs> well, it was called Star Crossed. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's true. With um, Temptation Eyes, Tamlin. Yeah, Tamlin. That one made sense because they knew who each other. Like she knew who he was, and she knew that he wasn't going to be able to stay in that time. That had more chemistry than than this did because this just feels it it, it feels sinister and gross. Uh, okay, I'm it, it feels icky to me. So I'm I'm trying to unpack this in a way that might end up circling back to bite me on the ass because I I'm not I'm not entirely I'm trying to work through this thought process myself. But is it weird because 
he he'd leapt into her dad, or is it weird because he'd got to know her as a young child and then got to know her as an adult in that special way that you don't get to know children? It's weird because he's sniffing his hands and crap and saying weird things. And <laughs> That's then, like, weird and- anyway, there's not... The whole right, thing. No, enough. I mean, it like it is kind of bizarre, like leaping from being her father into being her lover. But if they had done this and not leaped him into immediately being in bed with her, whether they're they're having sex or not uh, in the middle of the leap, uh, which seems to be implied, um, it's still weird. The whole thing. I think it's. I think it's. It's totally. I think the line that they were trying to draw throughout the three episodes is Sam arriving as a protector. And yes. In the case of trilogy one, naturally, it's going to be a parental figure. In this case, her father. There's no reason why, story wise, they couldn't have leapt him into Will and still had most of what transpired in trilogy still transpire. Um, because Will could have been uh, babysitting her the night that Laura shows up in the house and the door slams closed. Um, Will could have, you know, I, I guess maybe you don't get to go see Laura at Peach Hill and have Meg Foster act all weird. So there's a loss there, I guess. You want to have that plot element in, so you sort of have to have a family member in for that. But I, I, I just think that if you were going to have that, if you knew the through line for this freaking trilogy – and you were going to have Sam meet her as a little girl, then have him leap into her future husband, or at least her potential future husband, not her dad. But the, the reason I ask this, and the reason why I, I I wonder if it's worth reconsidering, um, is in this episode, at least for a good chunk of it, he is Will. In the first episode... Has he actually merged in any way with her father? Is he feeling fatherly devotion and that kind of fatherly protectiveness towards her? Or is it just Sam, on a leap, protecting a little girl? In which case, there's no love there. There's no emotion there besides just the general connection that he makes with anyone. And that's why I wonder if there is still this slight weirdness in that, hey, last time you saw her, she was, what, 10 years old, and, and now you're having sex with her, that's just a little bit... Well, then no, it's not a little bit. That, that's that's hard to get your head around. But the father figure to lover transition isn't necessarily as icky if you consider the fact that, in, in the first case, he is acting as a father. In the second case, he, he very much is in love with her and... And has those emotions. So that that's my only way of kind of unpacking that in a in a slightly more positive light. My gut reaction is still no, that's still weird. But I just wonder if that helps at all. Yeah, I don't think there was really a lot of residuals going on in the first one, depending on what you think of uh, Meg Foster showing up, whether that was him seeing anything or whether she was there or whatever. But even if it's just Sam taking care of a little girl... Those are completely different emotions. It's a completely different relationship. And, and I don't know. I, I think wh- whatever way you change it, it doesn't really change a lot of the, the overall issues. <laughs> and yet no one ever asked this question about the Doctor Who episode Girl in the Fireplace, which to me has that exact issue. They weren't. They weren't screwing. <laughs> they. David Tennant and his girlfriend were. 
they would have done that that whole lonely little boys learning how to dance thing that's that, that we we all know what they meant with that but he'd just seen her as a girl a few minutes previously yeah i mean if you're going from like you know someone being in someone's life their whole life and obviously they come they go from being like a child into an adult and goes into a romantic thing i don't know it just it doesn't feel like either Sam or Abigail have a lot of say in this. Yeah, true. Yeah. There's a lot wrong with this, and please don't mistake any of this for me trying to defend it. I'm just trying to figure out a way in which maybe Deborah Pratt might have been thinking through this and and not not even justifying it. Just well, this this is how this is. This is the story I want to tell, and it's fine. What what maybe she was thinking. I think that a lot of these issues maybe popped into mind again because of all of we get two separate declarations of quote love from both Abigail when she's in the police station she's giving him his the speech which to me was just like cringeworthy and treacly and just like where's this coming from I don't I don't see the chemistry between them that's another big problem I have with this episode so for them to be so insatiable and we were talking about the the scene with Sam I, it wasn't so much. It was like a declaration of horny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want her. I want her so bad it's killing me. I can't think about anything else except holding her and and touching her and tasting her and smelling her. I feel like she belongs to me. This is not love. This is animal lust. Yep. That he's talking about. He can't get enough of her. Yeah, he doesn't He doesn't know her. He doesn't know a thing about her. All he knows is that he's got a raging heart on. That's all he knows. He's, sorry, just his declarations through the whole episode. Asking me to stay away from her was like asking the sun not to rise on their oh, wedding day. God. <laughs> I got what they were trying to do. I feel like there would have been a way to rework this and not have it be this. If they had just had him not leap in mid-coitus and had her know who it was and be like, I, you know, I, I know you from somewhere, like you were, you were protecting me or something, you know, like something so that she knows that it's not Will, but it's someone that she loves. And Sam knows, like he has this whole mental faculties with him and he's not merged with this other guy. I feel like there's a way to work this whole, like, lovers across time thing. Yeah, but, but then you got to think about his position from her point of view. Like, say it was like Teresa Bruckner, where she was young enough to notice that this wasn't her daddy, but Sam was mm-hmm. there and he saved her. Mm-hmm. And then the next time she sees Sam, it's because he will morphs into the man that she once considered her dad while they're having sex. Just a complete shit show. Just don't have him leap mid-sex. <laughs> Even the mechanics of it don't work. Did he have a heart on or did he, like, did he inherit it from Will? It just doesn't make sense. Think about that waiting room. <laughs> it, it must have just been his mind that was leaping, not his body. You've just proved Chris's point. Well, this is, oh this is what I was thinking because, uh, again, this mind-body shenanigans in this, he is so much Will. In the first part of this episode that I think it was a gradual transition from mind to full body in this case. I don't know how that works mid-leap. I'm just saying that it seemed like there was a progression from Will to Sam as the episode went on. And he even said, now it's me. I'm fully here. I'm fully here now. Will is gone. So there could be some flux here. Again, whatever the story requires, we know that, but 
just trying to keep like an in-universe consistency, which is just a fool's errand. We know that as well. In this, it seems like it started as a mind and ended as a body. No? Yes, crickets? <laughs> you know, guys, l- last time we were having such an in-depth discussion about um, Sam merging with the Leapy, it was Lee Harvey Oswald, and I'm so glad we weren't talking about sex then. I, I did this... <laughs> This pleases me that we're... But I mean, how long was he with the wife? They had to have slept together. All right, all right. Point taken, Alison. It is possible to share a bed with your partner without having sex with them. I don't know. I mean, by saying that a lot of it is Will, and I agree that it was Will, because he just seemed very much uh, this character, like, it just... It makes his declarations of love meaningless to me it just make, makes it seem like this is not sam talking this is will talking so what even was all of this for mm. you know and that's you're you're hitting on i mean we can talk about this the entire podcast and never get anywhere i think we can all agree that it was the complete wrong choice mm-hmm. ill-advised and does not hold up in any way yeah but it is one bad element of other problematic things in this episode what are the other hot takes, man? Why was Meg Foster there? Aside from the fact that this was trilogy <laughs> she, and she had to be in the second one. There was no new info given. She was great in this, though. She's just so cool. You know, it, she was dropping hints. She was dropping hints, you know, that she knew who was who or what. They even state that, you know, that she knows. We already knew that she knew. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. She gave the whole story about what happened to her family. That was a pretty damn good performance. I thought it was the rain. I thought that it was raindrops that I was feeling from my hand. It was great. Uh, I thought that was great. <laughs> she she has the one tear in her eye. Mm. Oh my God. I'm not saying that Meg Foster isn't a fine actress. I'm saying that... Even though Meg Foster is such a fine actress, it didn't elevate this material to anything I considered watchable. Yeah, I don't know why. I mean, she's there because everyone's in in all three parts of this, but I I didn't mind it. There was some good stuff in that scene. I thought her performance was uh, was really good, and that's also where Sam has his uh, even heroes are human moment. (laughs) (laughs) Here to save Abigail. You saved her once before. You've got to do it again. That's it. Why me? Because you're a hero. Even heroes are human. That's when I, I got up and I was like, I'm out. I, I, I got to take a break. <laughs> um, you know what? Taken out of context, I like that uh, that that speech more. Actually, the whole like, even heroes are human thing and life's not fair and all this and and Al's like, oh, because you're a hero. Um, because like all of this is for um a very icky story, but um, it is nice to see some some flaws in Sam. I guess yeah. that's Sam acknowledging that like this isn't really right, but Sam wants something for himself. Yeah, of course. And I don't think that that's an invalid road to go down as far as speculation for Sam's character. How can you not eventually explore that? He's a human being. He's going to have selfish moments and he's going to get angry eventually about not having a life of his own. But again, in the context of this episode, that even here as a human just came across as 
the last eye roll. I think you guys could probably hear my <laughs> eyes rolling this morning. <laughs> All the way across the, the, the Atlantic, right, Matt? <laughs> yeah. Made a ripple in the space-time continuum. He was so sweaty when he said it to you. <laughs> <laughs> of course. He was shaking with his need for Abigail, his physical urge to gobble her up. When, when he says even heroes are human, I just, in my head, I'm always thinking of, like, this was the most human. This was the most And it's more human. Human. <laughs> human. Oh, boy. But, I mean, like, it is a little bit melodramatic. A little um, bit. What I do, the whole thing is a bit melodramatic. Um, but when it works, I think it works. Like, I do like the vibe of some parts of this episode. You know, I like the whole, the town just going into this mass hysteria, just this craziness, uh, and uh, with, with Lita Ader shrieking about, you know, she's got to die! <laughs> <laughs> and that's one of my other problems with the episode. Well, go for it. Go go into it. What'd you... What'd you... I, don't, I mean, do we need to see another angry mob trying to string up Abigail? Or This struck me as... They didn't have an angry mob in the last one. It was just one lady. Oh, whatever. It just seems to me that this is a bunch of filler. I don't buy that like 30 townspeople who have known this girl since she was growing up are going to storm in and grab her and literally try to murder her because one kid is missing and one woman is saying she's a murderer. Not just one kid, it's Purvis. Yeah, Purvis. Purvis <laughs> is missing. I, 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 is this town full of murderers then? I love Sam fighting with a guy in overalls. There's just some, like, guy in overalls that comes over like, I'm going to take him out. And then he, like, karate's him. <laughs> no, that's not going to happen, man. <laughs> he whacked him in the face with a gun. <laughs> then there's this scene when he's just trying to buy time. And he says to the crowd, Give me five hours. Five hours. If we haven't found Purvis, then I'll turn her over to you. What the? I he sounds so guilty when he's like, here's where he is. <laughs> and Abigail must be like, huh? What? You know, like... <laughs> I will hand her over to you. Sam is leaving in about five minutes anyway. We understand that. But what's the last thing she's going to remember? Oh, you were going to turn me over to them. <laughs> oh, so... No, because I knew where he was. How? Well, if he's there, does it matter? What? Yeah, it matters. How do you know he was there? <laughs> yeah. Did you do this? <laughs> Let's just put it this way. I... Just the, the flouting of the law in this and Sam making a deal that he would actually hand someone over to be murdered as a deputy sheriff for a county is like last gunfighter level stupid. Yes. I mean, in the 60s, people were people were dumb in the 60s, though. Let's be real. Um, this didn't happen with white people that much. But yeah, Southern people lynching someone. It happened. I know, I know. I just I felt in the context of this episode that it was just gratuitous and just for the sake of bad drama. Sure. Melora Hardin was, uh, she was just digging in to Scott Bakula's side, like, <laughs> her claws into him. <laughs> she was, um, you know, a lot of people might recognize Melora Hardin from The Office. Um, yeah, she was great in this. I thought she did a great job as Abigail. She was really good. She was really charming. The charming parts were nice. The understated parts were really nice. I thought she was really good. I thought she played off Sam really well. It's just when they got to the melodrama that all of a sudden it kind of, it kind of fell apart for me. So it was kind of uneven. And again, it's just based on the material that she's given. 
Like what kind of moment were they trying to elicit from her? And she probably just delivered what they said they wanted. You can see a real difference in how she plays the part um, between part two and three as well, because she's supposed to be playing her in like her early 20s in this one. And then the next one is, I think, like another decade later or something like that. And uh, I don't know how old she was at the time, but you could tell she's like playing it younger. Yeah. To, to sell that she is a, a young woman. Not that she was old, but. <laughs> we'll have to compare and contrast when we do trilogy three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, why can't Ziggy find Purvis until she can? Because plot. Well, because they know where Purvis was found, but they don't know where Purvis is wandering around. Though, of course, Ziggy could just, like, sink with someone, couldn't they? Just send him in on Purvis! Darn Purvis, he was too quick and agile, they couldn't get a lock on him. He's darting around town in his favorite sweater or whatever... (laughs) Abigail gave him. Yeah, his cardigan jacket or the red. It's too small and I threw it away. <laughs> Everyone's so mean to her. I fished it out. Okay, okay. Why are all moms in this town psycho dicks? They're just the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed seeing her. She's uh, the eye patch lady from Twin Peaks. Oh, is she? Oh, Purvis's mom. The one with the with the piece of wood? No, not the. You're thinking of the log lady. There's the one with the eye patch who wanted the like silent blinds in Twin Peaks. Oh, slide yes. them oh, silently. She was crazy. <laughs> yeah. She hit her head and then she went back to high school during the, yes. the season that sucked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you mean the second season? Yeah. Hilarious. Spoilers, please. I haven't seen the second season yet. You're not missing anything. Oh, sorry. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it was cool seeing her. I I did enjoy uh, all of the cast in this. Um, What's the actress's name who played Marie? Uh, Fran Bennett? She's great. Mm. And Mary Gordon Murray reprising her role as Lita, being even crazier than before. I did like when, um, when Sam confronted her about the fire. I did not set that fire. And you know that it was Laura. Mm. So we're going to have the big reveal in Trilogy 3. When they take the wimple off of Laura's head. She's just so evil. And she's got that, like, the gray streaks in her hair. And she's like, Satan won't save you now. <laughs> and then when he's talking to her, she's like, I'm a bitter woman. But I didn't set that fire. Oh, so good. All she needs is a cigarette and a long holder. She's full on Corella Deville in this. <laughs> she deserves to die. <laughs> You mentioned the grey streak, so I've just got a sidebar quickly here. Is it me, or aside from the recasting of Abigail, does no one in this town actually age apart from getting a bit of grey in their hair, except for one really bad makeup job which we'll come to in Trilogy 3? They they all just, like, their hair just gets a little bit greyer, but they seem to age really, really well. It's only it's only 11 years. They all got the uh, the baby powder in the hair, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's there's an awful one coming up. We're talking about Larry Stanton, of course. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think, like, aging makeup, I think, very rarely looks good. But I think, like, mm. if we're going to compare aging makeups on this show, like, if you're, like, Scott Bakula as his dad, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I think it looked better than that. But it just, they, they don't seem like they even, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe I wasn't looking close enough, but it looks like in this, ep- or in, in these episodes, they just went, uh, you know what, yeah, you're right, aging makeup sucks. Let's not try. 
Let's just not do it. Let's do a bit with the hair. Well, I mean, you also you have a huge cast of people, and yes. just doing one aging makeup is really hard. But doing it on all of these people would be near impossible on a on a TV schedule. And, and again, Matt, it's it's only eleven years. I mean, you're not going to noticeably. No, we're, age. T- we're talking about eleven years between part one and two, and then like another eleven years or whatever between the next one. So that's like this is like two decades. I think it's twelve years between the next one. So now you're talking about yeah twenty twenty five. Yeah. years or so. And Larry yeah. Stanton is the only one that, and, and Abigail are the only ones that really age. They they do aging on quite a bit of them, actually. I won't go oh, into okay. everyone, but they, they do, um, but it's just a varying degrees of aging. I guess some people aged better than others. <laughs> and it's good that the, the fact that I didn't pick up on it apart from the hair, obviously they, they did a, a more subtle job than, than the old, yeah, Scott Bakula playing his own dad thing. Um, the, the, the subtle ones are usually better. I think when they did the hair on Lita Ader, um, they did a good job adding like a texture to make it look more wiry. Maybe yeah. her hair is a little wiry and it looked more so with the, with the, uh, with the, uh, graying. But yeah, it, it did seem like the aged hair looked pretty authentic to me. Can I make a confession, guys? Hmm. I didn't know Scott Bakula was playing his own father until I saw that episode like three times. You did? What? <laughs> It's in his big bull credit. Scott Bakula is his father. <laughs> just didn't. <laughs> How could you know? What in the world? What? No. No, Chris. No. There was a moment when it dawned on me and I said, oh my God, that's Scott. Excuse me, Chris. <laughs> you were watching it on a tiny screen again, weren't you? You were watching oh, it on your phone and you're like, no, that seems right. <laughs> Not survive, but thrive. If it makes you feel any better, Allison, I had my ignorance and revelation probably a couple of years before you were even born. So as long as, <laughs> oh, as, long okay. as you've been alive, nice. I knew. All right. but uh, uh, Okay. I thought you meant like just in the last couple of years. That's, no, that's no, it. no. I mean, because um, I saw it and then I saw a rerun and then I saw it again. I think they reran it twice. And I don't know. It just struck me on upon probably around the third rewatch where I said, Oh my God, that's Scott. And I didn't read credits or anything. I probably missed it where it says, and Scott Bakula as his father. So, yeah, that's me. Dumb fan. I mean, like, look, I don't want to, I don't want to junk on Scott Bakula's performance <laughs> as his father. Uh, I think he did a, a fine job doing a character there. I just think it was wholly inappropriate um, to do in general. It was very distracting. And uh, the makeup, while it won an Emmy, kind of makes him look like a melted wax statue and i just i can't it it's hard to follow these emotional scenes when that's going on but i think it probably would have looked like that regardless because that's just what that's what prosthetic makeup looks like when you turn someone into an old man and and make them heavier and all that like Mm -hmm. that's just that's the deal you know but uh and that might work for like tales from the crypt but not necessarily for uh, Quantum Leap for me. <laughs> Where were we? <laughs> okay, I, I had one more thing in my notes. This is the uh, the third time that Sam leaps into someone's life twice. Because he did it in uh, Jimmy and Deliver Us From Evil. Mm-hmm. And technically in Double Identity, he also leaped back. Yeah. And Lee Harvey Oswald. Oh, that's true. It's the fourth time. Can we think of a fifth? I mean, technically, he leapt into Al's life twice. Not as Al. How did you, when, when was the other time? Well, with MIA and Vietnam. Mm, All right. Uh, yeah, yeah, technically. 
Technically. <laughs> I'm, I'm just reaching, I know. But that points up something that I was thinking throughout this episode, Allison. The fact that Don built this to be an anthology show and that Sam Swiss cheesing was purposely developed to facilitate that anthology feel. And then when they want to try to do stuff like this in season five, where either they have one contiguous storyline like trilogy, or he revisits people he's leaped into before, like Jimmy in, in deliver us from evil. You have to sort of hand wave away the fact that he's not very Swiss cheesed or that he has instant recollection of these people in this case. Yet he can't remember his wife. I mean, the Swiss cheesing is so inconsistent anyway. I feel like it it seems less so the more you leap. Because, mm. like, in the first leap, he's just, like, he's just forgotten everything. And then after that, it's not like every time he's he's yeah. got amnesia, you know? Like, he remembers most stuff, whatever's convenient. Yes. Yeah, yeah. For the plot. So I guess, like, this works by rules of convenience. <laughs> Right, but never is it more glaring, I think, than in these episodes where you need a through line. He does seem to take a little bit to get back into it, though. I do like he to kind of remember, and I do wonder how much time has passed for Al, or if this is even all sequential for Al. Like, I do wonder if maybe there were other leaps in between. Oh, so you're thinking it didn't go right from Clayton Fuller to Will Kinman as far as Al's timeline is concerned. Yeah, I, I, I could be misremembering, but it kind of seems like Al is sort of like, oh, okay, so we're back here again. Oh, let's do the, like, kind of like, oh, we're doing this now. Maybe. Hmm. There's some fan fiction waiting to happen. Hmm. I guess. Yes, good, good. I like head cannoning this. <laughs> <laughs> now, when, um, I watched this, speaking of this being the second part, I watched the version on the NBC app, and I know that, Matt, you had discussed this. The version that you watched was a little different, was it not? Yeah. So um, when this episode first aired, it was a, a double length with Trilogy Part 3, but not, um, as for years I assumed, uh, not just the two episodes aired on the same night. Um, I even tracked down the TV guide for that that week's broadcast and still thought it was just the two episodes showing after each other. But no, it's it's a it's a full 90-minute um, special with adverts called Trilogy Part 2. Everything flows through as a, as a single hour-and-a-half-long episode. The first half, the, the, the Trilogy Part 2 leap, is not very different. There's a couple of small extra pieces in, uh, but Trilogy Part 3 has a lot of extra bits in, which I'll totally be talking about in depth in the next show. But it was mind-blowing when I, I finally tracked down a, an off-air from way back when to find out that actually, yeah, that's how it aired. Yeah, I didn't know until fairly recently when you mentioned it, Matt, that this and... Um the the evil leaper follow-ups i didn't know that they aired as single episodes so this yeah. was mind-blowing to me it was really cool to see that extra stuff even for me just little things like um you know usually when we see two episodes of american sitcoms or dramas aired back to back and they've done a quick job of putting them together and usually the the opening guest stars are kind of listed back to back with like in this case, it would say part two guest stars all of these people, and then part three. They're actually properly merged together as if, well, uh, as if they've, they've spent some proper time over it, listing all the guest stars that are in both. 
then the writer, the director, I mean, it helps. This has got the same writer and director for both, but it looks like a, a consistent, it, it just, just looks like it was always planned to be a movie. Can I ask, I know that you say they're very small bits and we can get deeper into the discussion and what's missing and what's added in part three, but what did I miss in this part two? Is it anything of substance or is it just little character bits? Like, what are we talking about here? It's not even um, character bits. It's a couple of lines here and there that just help... um they they don't even really flesh out the story. They they just help kind of um, pace it a little bit differently. Um, as I say, part three is where it really comes in with that actual um, proper new material. But there's there's like a, a line, an extended bit where they come back from a commercial break, and Sam spends a little bit longer explaining what's going on. It's completely unnecessary, but it just it's stuff that could very easily be cut, and obviously obviously was eventually. Um, when they were re-editing this for syndication. It's weird to me, though, now that we don't have to see it in syndication per se, that the episodes that they have available for streaming on the NBC website are still as if we were syndicating them. I know. I assume, based on that and based on production codes, that for both this and uh, Return and Revenge, that they were planned as two episodes and then later or nearer the time of broadcast were put together as movies. Just in both cases, it wasn't so last minute that they just jammed them together. There's there's extra material in them. So I'm assuming the syndicated versions are actually kind of the earlier edits, and that's that they're considered to be the master versions, whereas the, the broadcast versions were maybe hastily edited together, but at least with, with additional material. Yeah, they made events out of them airing them as like two parts. But uh, like with most shows, I think pretty much every show that does something like this, they design it so it can be split into two parts because you're almost never in syndication going to air it as like one big movie again. But it is a shame that they don't have the uh, versions of these available um, in HD or even like in an SD version that's a good quality because I never knew. I, I genuinely had never heard that they were supposed to be like a single part aired together, or at least that they were at one point. Yeah, as I was gonna say, I, I always assumed if I could get a, an off-air recording of that night, that part two would end with some end credits, and then part three would open with the um, the saga cell and everything. But to see it just flow straight through, quite a surprise. And I think back, I had to have seen it that way hmm. because I saw it when it aired. So yeah, no memory. And you forgot all the juicy details that they <laughs> cut out? All the hot goss, completely, in one ear, out the other. Sorry, Alice. And then like, they cut out the scene where like Sam's like, hey, I'm Sam Beckett, I'm a time traveler, and actually, like, it's cool if we if we sleep together, like, because consent. And then she's like, oh, yeah, I totally knew it was you. And then they get together, and then it's fine. Right, and she signs a consent waiver, and then Marie comes in and notarizes it because she's a notary public, and everything's fine. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Well, I don't know that I have any more um, notes about Trilogy Part 2 that won't go into Trilogy Part 3. So unless you guys have any objections, should we get to some final observations? I'm cool with that. All right. Well, why don't we shake it up? Matt, why don't you give us your final observations first? Um, Yeah. So I... 
never been a fan of the of of any of the trilogy episodes. I am definitely reevaluating them. Some of tonight's discussion has caused me to re reevaluate, <laughs> but <laughs> um, yeah, I I still think that if you gloss over. Uh, the troublesome elements, one of which you can gloss over just by focusing on this episode, the other of which, yeah, there's no real glossing over. Um, But if you just look at this uh, in terms of what's going on in The Leap, the characters and the performances, some of which are are, are really interesting and really well done, this is a... this it's, It's an interesting and exciting story. So... I give it a, a kind of a pass. It's not um it's not an awful episode. Certainly not as awful as I always think it is. Um because I think there's just other other parts of it that are biasing me against it. But um yeah, it's 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 okay. It's all right. All right, Allison. I appreciate that it's very cinematic and uh this this goes for all three parts of it. Um I appreciated the ambition and the effort put into this. And all of the performances were just really superb. And um, the music and the costuming and all of that, um, it just create this atmosphere that is very, very interesting to me. So you just have to, uh, you have to compartmentalize in your mind these different things. Um, <laughs> yes. Because, yeah, I, I really, I can't get over a lot of the stuff that happens between Abigail and Sam and things that lead into to part three as well. Those are things that I, I have a huge issue with, but just as a standalone episode, um, it's pretty solid, to be honest. <sighs> and I'm going to say no, no, and no, no, no. <laughs> Is this still your worst no, ever episode? No, 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 no. Uh, it's close. It's close. I just, I, I, again, like you said, and I think I said this at the end of Trilogy 1, I admire the ambition, like you just said, Allison, that they're trying to do something different. They're trying to shake up the formula, bring Quantum Leap to new places. But this to me is just not good Quantum Leap. I found that um, where I wasn't bored, it was so hammy and ham-fisted that I was getting annoyed. And at the end of the day, I don't care about any of these people. Um, I don't care if they live or they die. I didn't buy the romance between Sam and Abigail at all. And um, at the – I mean, let's just face it. It's like a flabby middle installment designed solely to have Sam knock Abigail up. As simple as <laughs> yeah. that. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the only forward motion that we get in this episode. Otherwise, it's just a rehash of Abigail is cursed and we need to kill her. And I just, I, I'm not interested in that story. I wasn't interested in the first part. I'm not interested in the second part. I'd be curious to know if Trilogy 3 kind of swoops in and redeems any of this. If you didn't oh. like either part for part yeah. one or part two, I don't think your part no. three is going to turn you around on it. No. <laughs> <laughs> you let me be the judge. Don't don't pre-bias me. You know me. I love Quantum Leap. All right. All right. I'll look forward to it. We start it and you'll be like, oh, hot damn. I have a new favorite episode. <laughs> Nuclear family, get out. <laughs> now it is trilogy part three and part three only. Right. You know that I want to love it. I want to love everything I see on screen. I have nothing but the utmost respect for the actors and the creatives behind it this just to me is not a good episode so there you have it and there we have trilogy two in the books um we are going to take a break and when we get back uh we'll be telling you about some feedback that we have received so stay tuned the qlp is brought to you by listeners like you 
please go to patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast and give as much as you can for as little as a dollar a month you can be a contributor to the quantum leap podcast it goes to covering our server cost and helps keep the podcast going thank you theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime dr sam beckett stepped into the quantum leap accelerator and And when he does vanish, we're going to be there to see it. I'm Aaron Moss. And I'm Michelle Moss. I've seen an episode or two of the show, but this is my first time watching it through, which makes me like Sam. And I've seen every episode multiple times. So I guess that makes me uh, Ziggy. Join us monthly as we watch Quantum Leap episode by episode and then discuss it. On the Star Bright Project. Available on its own feed. Or under the Headcast Network. Come, Come take, take the, the leap with us. with us. This is Velton Ray Bunch, and you are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Hey everyone, we're back, and as promised, I have some feedback. Guys, are you ready to hear some feedback? Heck yeah. Always. Always, right? Well, I know that uh, this one that I sent you is pretty short and sweet, but I can use this as a springboard to talk about a couple of other things. So I figured why not get it out on the air, especially since it's a new five-star Apple Podcasts review or iTunes. I don't know what you call it anymore, but hey, five stars. So that's not a bad thing. Yeah. This comes from Chris ADL. I don't know what that is, but his name is Chris ADL. It's not like Ho-Ho Blah or... Uh, the Green Lantern guy that we had that time. Remember that? <laughs> Green Lantern guy was awesome. Now, Chris, just to check though, this isn't you, Chris, right? You, no. You're not reviewing or just, I know, I know things are desperate here sometimes, but. <laughs> oh my God. He wrote. <laughs> at the- least invent a good fake name. <laughs> he went, I like everyone except Matt and Allison. <laughs> <laughs> Stop reading my mind. <laughs> Allison, since you're so smart, I want to invite you to read this bit of feedback. Ooh, okay. Well, uh, Chris writes, other Chris writes, <laughs> great for any QL fan. Well-researched and very down the middle, they call out both the good and bad of the show. The content is great, however, their humor and banter keeps me coming back. I hope this trio recaps the early seasons, too. Oh, that's so nice. Ah. It is very nice. It's the humor and banter that keep me coming back to every recording session. Because <laughs> Lord knows you don't listen to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> shh, shh. I love bantering with you guys. Yeah. As do I. And I wanted to uh, to actually highlight this one on this show um, because I, I feel like, you know, this is Trilogy 2. So we're not going to have like that positive of an experience talking about it. And uh, <laughs> anyway, I knew I wasn't going to. And it's just nice when someone points out that it's also good to hear the bad and that we can be down the middle, but still respectful and funny. Anyway, that's what I hope for. That's what I strive for. Even when it's an episode I don't really care for. And anyway, Chris 80L thinks we're doing it okay. Thanks, Chris. That was really nice. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. Um, another thing that Chris brings up, um, and this is not the first time we've heard this, but uh, he writes, I hope this trio recaps the early seasons too. And I know Matt and Allison and I, we really haven't discussed whether or not we're planning to do something like that. Uh, we're not saying it's off the table. I don't think we're saying it's off the table. Are we guys? I I wouldn't mind doing that. No. If people, we've heard it from more than one person now, like more than one person's brought it up, so... 
Right. Hmm. So, I mean, that's something we can consider when we get through with, I guess, the novels and the comic books and stuff. And uh, if we want to keep this going, maybe we can even do it like a round robin kind of thing. We just do the, the wheel of undone episodes instead of going in chronological order. I'm already producing. You're planning already, Chris. <laughs> this this came from a, maybe we'll do it someday, I don't know, blue sky to, oh, this is how we're going to produce <laughs> it and this is how it's going to go. <laughs> it's good to have a plan. You're a man with a plan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a bossy pants. Yeah. That's why we love you. But the reason I point that out is that um, we've also heard from people that say that they uh, miss and really enjoyed the Heather and Albie dynamic. So if listeners out there are looking to sort of recapture that Heather Albie dynamic, longtime fan of the Quantum Leap podcast, Aaron Moss, Brotherhead Moss, started a new Quantum Leap podcast with his wife, Michelle, and Hayden is a co-host over there as well, and he's been doing some Quantum Deep segments. Um, you might have heard them on the latest version of A Little Miracle that just dropped on Christmas. I think that was like A Little Miracle Mach 5, and it's like, now that's up to seven hours, but the top of that show is the Starbite Project podcast, crossing feeds with us, joining the Little Miracle Extravaganza, and um, <laughs> reviewing that episode. And uh, we just encourage all of our listeners, if you like what we're doing, but you want more Quantum Leap fandom goodness, go check out the Starbright Project podcast. Aaron and Michelle seem to be having a good time over there with Hayden, and uh, it might give you some of those old Heather and Albie feels. Well, because his wife uh, has also not seen Quantum Leap, right? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for pointing out probably the most important thing that I completely was going to gloss over. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be the dynamic you're looking for, right? If you want to see like, you know, an old fan and a new fan discovering it for the first time, that's what they've, they've got going on over there. Yes, for sure. And as I said, you're so smart, Alice. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the other thing I, j I just wanted to uh, to point out is uh, that wasn't the only Christmas gift that uh, we tried to give you guys. If you hadn't noticed yet, check out your feed. On December 25th, we dropped an episode of our normally Patreon-exclusive show, Fangent. Uh, very Christmas Fangent is what we called it. And it's just me, Matt, and Allison going on and on and on about Christmas stuff. Basically, Fangent is the show that we do when we're not talking about Quantum Leap. It's when we're just talking about fandom in general. Let's get it. Fangent, like tangent. I feel like I have to explain the name every time, even though I thought it was very clever. <laughs> I don't think you do. I really don't think you do, Chris. I don't think it's the... I think people get it, right? <laughs> All right. Well... I hope so. And um, you can get it right on your feed. Just scroll back to Christmas Day and uh, take a listen. It's only an hour. And I, I had a lot of fun doing that one. Yeah, that one was great. Yeah. It was a really nice, sweet one, I think. Got me in the Christmassy mood. Over here, before I started eating any figgy pudding. <laughs> <laughs> I do quiz Matt unmercifully in the beginning of the show, to the point where he was getting a complex, but it wasn't intentional. <laughs> I just had a lot of questions. I learned a lot about my own culture. We, you know, we <laughs> talked about puddings, and we talked about uh, Christmas villages or uh, the Christmas uh, markets. markets. Christmas oh, markets, I should sausages. say. Yeah. And we talked a lot about sausages. Sausage. <laughs> sausages, hands full of game meat, yes, and Boxing Day. And Allison, uh, you're never going to guess. Well, you probably can guess what I watched at least the first 35 minutes of about uh, two days ago. No, what did you watch? Puppy Star Christmas. <laughs> oh my god! You saw Puppy Star Christmas? You didn't finish it? 
I just, I, I, it was too much. I had to stop and take a breath. And you saw the evil Santa and you were like, I can't do this. <laughs> I had to recollect myself. Do, uh, where did you get to? Did you get to the evil Santa song at least? I didn't get to the evil Santa song. I got to- Oh, but to... you saw the, the dog dancing in the aisles. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, you can't, it's like, that's like, that's from scene one, so. <laughs> <laughs> the credits weren't even done rolling. They knew that's- whoosh. <laughs> Throw you in the deep end. So yeah, I I can see the appeal now. I, it's very well produced, and everybody seems to be having a ball. And uh, I can see why <laughs> this thing just keeps going on and on and on and on. Because I'm sorry, it's just goddamn adorable. It is hilariously adorable. So, <laughs> so thank you for recommending that. No problem. <laughs> wow. I'm almost tempted. Anyway, I make that diversion because I'm going to make a naked pitch now. That's the kind of stuff that you can hear on our Patreon feed. And um, I just wanted to encourage all of you listening out there, um, if you liked what you heard on that edition of Fangent, you can uh, find more of the same and other stuff as well on our Patreon feed. That's patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast for just five bucks a month. You can get access to all of our bonus material. And uh, we have so much more in the can that's going to be coming out over the next several weeks and we're always doing more. So it's not going to dry up anytime soon. We hope that you go there, you check it out and you enjoy it. That's not too naked of a plea, is it guys? I don't think so. No, no more than normal. Hey, listen to our stuff, folks. We're we're funny. We're informative. We try. Laying down forbidden Christmas lore. <laughs> we're all learning together. We learned about a uh, spotted dick. Spotted dick. Wow. Yeah. We all learned what it was then. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. All right. So... Even though I am here begging, it doesn't mean that we don't want to hear from you if you can't support us on Patreon. As a matter of fact, there are many ways that you can contact us here at the Quantum Leap Podcast. You can reach us by phone at 707-847-6682. You can email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at quantum leap pod and like i said you can also support us on patreon at patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast so yeah come one come all tell us what you thought of for your love trilogy part two and uh any other episodes that we've done in the past just remember that we may use your response on an upcoming episode of the quantum leap podcast and speaking of upcoming episodes matt tell us what's next we know what's coming up next guys we don't need my usual punning it's Trilogy Part 3. Baton Rouge Gazette, July 28, 1978, Louisiana. It wasn't over. My memory was fading, but in my soul I knew it wasn't over. I was still in the South, and somehow Abigail had summoned me back. But for what? This who? So the child has legal rights. Wait a second, wait a second. Larry Stanton? Hello, sweet cheeks. Now you come over here, you hot-blooded southern rebel, and melt me down. Tonight, Lauren Stanton III, I am Jane Fonda in Butterfield 8. Oh, boy. Start the twang. Boing, boing. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Start the twang. So once again, we end right where we began with this one, Allison. You're, you're focusing on the music. <laughs> I like the music. I do. It's good. It's good music. Swampiance. Uh, good job, Belton. Is that too familiar? Mr. Bunch? <laughs> that doesn't feel right either. How about Senior Bunch? Senior Bunch. <laughs> Senior. <laughs> Monsieur Bunch. Monsieur. Monsieur. Papa, Papa Bunch? Papa Bunch? That sounds inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm cutting all of that right out. That's insensitive. That's good. I wasn't sure if you were going to cut because I was going to refer to Velton as Oi Dickface, but I thought, well, just in case you want to use it, I better not say that. That might be pushing it. That might be over the line. Velton Ray Bunch is listening to these and then like a single tear falls and he's like, thought they liked me. <laughs> they were so nice in that interview. <laughs> And then he called me Dick Face. <laughs> I told him all about Piano Man. <laughs> now he's going to run out in the parking lot saying, I thought I learned how to love again. <laughs> no! If it keeps happening, Mr. Bunch, no! We can't use any of this. Sack Lunch Bunch, can we call him that? <laughs> What's going on, guys? What's happening? I don't know. We don't know how to end. I actually just realized that Bunch is a very funny last name, and so now I'm just focusing on that. <laughs> well, uh, I'm going to be looking forward to talking a bunch about uh, Trilogy <laughs> Part 3 with you two uh, next time that we record. It's going to be a good time. I am really looking forward to it. Until that time, I've been Christopher D. Philippus. I've been Alison Pregler. And I've been Matt Dale. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. Visit us at quantumleappodcast.com. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap podcast is Albert Burge. Christopher D. Philippus and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Morgan Felden and Charles Allen Gossard are the producers. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. Please visit barrenspace.com for this and other amazing content. The Quantum Leap Podcast is a Baron Space production. Okay, Allison, you can swallow now. <laughs> I can breathe again. Out of context, people are going to think that's something else. I'm sorry. <laughs> Please do not include that in the podcast. I forgot I was talking to a lady. That would have been ten times more funny if I was talking to Matt. But still. <laughs> I think it'd be cool um, if we could talk to the, the little girl that played Abigail slash Sam Joe. Yeah, yeah, maybe we can uh, see if we can find her. But anyway. I think Melora Harden might be a little hard, but maybe. Maybe a little busy. <laughs> maybe yeah. a little busy. Meg Foster, what do you think? Get the Ouija board. Make Foster still alive? Oh, she's not dead, is she? When did that happen? Did we have this discussion already? I really thought she was dead. What do you mean Ouija <laughs> board? She's alive. Is she? <laughs> Are you sure? I wouldn't know, but if she did die, I missed it.
Meg Foster's still alive. Are we all Googling now? <laughs> hey, Google. Is Meg Foster dead? <laughs> uh, years alive. active, 1969 to present. Here's information from Wikipedia. All right. Look at 72. 72 years old. 72 years young, Allison. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to insult her. <laughs> uh, go check out the Starbright product. <clears throat> go, go check out the Starbright project. I'd say that ten times fast. Jesus Christ! I can pretend I got an email from someone saying I hate Chris. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> it was from Felton Ray Bunch. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Dale, you're a dick face. <laughs> Matt, you should tell everyone your email so they know uh, where where they can say that they don't like Chris. <laughs> Just email me at ihatechris at mattdale.co.uk. And there's um, a show called that, Everybody Hates Chris. Yes, there is. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard a lot about it. Believe it or not, I, I relatively unscathed. That was a 90s show, so I was already a grown-up. But if, had it been in high school, forget about it. Was it a 90s? I feel like it was 2000s. Okay, then I was way a grown-up. I'm going to find out. No one really cares. It was 2005. <laughs> gotcha. Terry Crews was in that, though. He was good. I believe he was the dad. Wasn't it Bernie Mac? No, Bernie Mac had his own show. Hey, you're right. It was Terry Crews. I feel like I've entered another dimension. I just had in my mind it was it was just the Bernie Mac show. It was Bernie Mac. I guess that would make sense. No, that one starred Terry Crews. Yeah. <laughs> it was really confusing for people, but... <laughs> it was just a joke, Papa Bunch. Please don't sue us.